sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Oh, we have a great show lined up for you today. I'm excited for our guests. Later, we're going to be joined by somebody I really admire, and he is very brave. He goes by the name Billboard Chris on X. And you may be familiar with him. He's a father who has dedicated his life to spreading the truth about gender ideology and the harm it does to children. His personal story is amazing. This guy has guts and he's going to walk you through the latest insanity when it comes to legislation and policies and what you don't know about why we do need these bans. We do need these bans on these cross gender procedures, whatever you want to call them. But we begin today with an exclusive interview with a longtime journalist just out with a new book about Vice President Kamala Harris. It is filled with juicy, never-before-told stories. Have you ever wondered how Kamala actually ascended to the second-highest office in the United States? How she was plucked from a failed 2020 presidential race to become President Biden's running mate? Any idea that there is a rift between Vice President Harris and the First Lady that does not sound all that healable. Uh, well, political journalist Charlie Spearing has it all in his new book. It's called Amateur Hour, Kamala Harris in the White House. It's available for pre-order and it is out next week. Get your copy now. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Okay, so I, it's about time somebody did this book. Um, I'm fascinated by her relationships present day in the White House, but just set up for us before we get there. Like, how did this person come on the national scene? I vaguely remember when she was AG in California and people were paying some attention to her. She was like diverse. She was back then this sort of law and order person, you know, she was considered tough on crime. And before he knew it, she was vice president. So just take us through a little bit of her her background, how she became this political star. Yeah, you know, a, a big part of it is her relationship with Willie Brown. She doesn't like to talk about it, but it very much kicked off her political career, sort of put her on the path to show up and demand from these progressive Democrats. I deserve a place on the stage elect me and I'll put you 
and I, you know, deserve to be your leader. And so a lot of people saw that. And obviously with the advance of Obama, you had a lot of national Democrats looking for the next Obama. And that's kind of how she broke onto the national scene as attorney general of California. People started talking about her as the next Obama. You know, it's, she was almost insulted by it a little bit. She's like, I'd rather be known as the Kamala Harris, but that's how sort of the national media and the national donors kind of were first introduced to her. Okay. So talk about that relationship and how that came about. The relationship with Willie Brown, absolutely. You know, she had a choice. You, You can date the most powerful, you can date the most powerful person in California politics for a certain amount of time and then you'll be rapidly successful. So she made that choice. She dated him for about a year when he was running for mayor. And through that process, she was introduced to the entire um, three-pronged control of California. You know, the biggest Mm -hmm. businessmen, the biggest stars, the biggest donors, especially in San Francisco. And that sort of launched her social career, you know, if we can call it a career, social and political career. The two go hand in hand so well in California. And when she first decided to run for district attorney of San Francisco, she kind of she already had a leg up. Mm-hmm. Right. OK, so she was smart in getting, I mean, literally in bed with someone in a position of power who could power broker her way around San Francisco and introduce her to all the right people. And she was beloved because even then in progressive circles, you somehow get extra points as a human being if you are black and of Indian descent as she is. So, you know, you're somehow worth more in their eyes because this is the new racist attitude on the left. Human beings have varying values based solely on skin color or ethnicity. And so she fell into the right boxes for those people. And she'd been raised by some radical leftists, Marxists even. So um, her, her policies were spot on for these folks too. Yeah, absolutely. She was, you know, her parents were, you know, she likes to talk about how she grew up in the civil rights movement with her parents marching and shouting for justice. But in all honesty, her parents were academics. They were more focused on the ideas of politics and they were members of the Afro-American club in Berkeley. And they, you know, did all have had all these meetings and talked about Marxist ideals and, and people that they admired were definitely on the Marxist side of things, her father was described as a Marxist professor in, in Stanford. And so she definitely had the sort of intellectual underpinnings. But when she got to start campaigning, she almost ran as a centrist. There was already a radical progressive prosecutor, Terrence Hollenon in San Francisco, who was, who was really sort of the anti-Rudy Giuliani, who was very progressive. And Kamala Harris kind of showed up and campaign to the right of them a little bit. You know, her famous thing was, it's not about being soft on crime or hard on crime. It's about being smart on crime. So that's kind of her way of selling her little more centrist position as she first ran for office in front of, you know, the San Francisco elite. So it was to the point you point out in the book, like she, she started off kind of tough on crime and to the point where, you know, she gets elected, but then she she's not going for the death penalty in the murder of young cops. And it was so bad that Diane Feinstein was completely opposite her. So what Feinstein was what the mayor of San Francisco 
And was Kamala the DA or the AG at the time? Yeah, she was the the DA of San Francisco. And during the funeral for this police officer that was shot and killed, you know, Kamala had already made a statement that she was not going to, you know, prosecute that you're not going to seek the death penalty in this case, which really angered San Francisco police officers, you know, her, the police officer's mother later told, you know, she made that decision before my son was even in, in the ground. So, you know, you know, you had the situation where at the funeral, you had San Francisco police officers turning their backs to her and Feinstein stood up and was and specifically, you know, pointed out that that's this is the reason why the death penalty exists. So it really took a kind of a shot at, at Kamala and she did it for political reasons. But it was really a rare moment of political courage for Kamala Harris. And she was definitely a little more cautious about taking hard stances on these issues and subsequent mm. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when she ran for president, she tried to totally disavow any times she was tough on crime and embrace the softer version of herself, because this is in a different era where we had different priorities and it was 2020 and so on. Um, so, all right. Next thing you know, what the, the biggest stepping stone was AG of California, then U.S. Senator. And then before we know it, she's running for president. Like this is may sound like a strange question, but what made her think she should run for president? Well, she kind of saw herself as as a Democratic superhero. She, she was one of the few candidates that actually won their race. Granted, it was in liberal California, but she was victorious while Hillary fell. And so she kind of viewed herself as kind of the superhero for the anti-Trump movement. And that's why when she got to the Senate, she didn't really waste time doing, you know, the sort of hard work of the Senate. She really got out there right away and just started to be this figurehead of this anti-Trump uh, this anti-Trump force in the Senate to sort of create these viral moments in the Senate to prove herself as a champion of the left. And mm. certainly she had the idea of Obama in the back of her mind, right? All you need to do is serve a couple of years in the Senate and then you can run for president and win. How many senators have had this same delusion that somehow you can be the next Obama and just do it for two years and then run for president? Yeah, it doesn't work out well for people who don't have his retail politics skills. And that would include her. So one of the things people remember from her run for president, which was disastrous, she got no support, was on stage at one of the debates, she called Joe Biden a racist. She accused him of being a racist. I'm gonna now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist, but I also believe, and it is personal, and it, I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And I actually didn't realize this until I read the refresher in your book, that he was actually offended by this for obvious reasons, but also because he had been pretty good to her. He had considered her a friend and it was a personal backstab. I mean, it was it was low. It was a low personal blow. It wasn't just politics. At least that's how he saw it. Yeah, Kamala was friends with Bo Biden, and and so he had she had a relationship. She went to his funeral. 
And Bo Biden was really an important part of her, her relationship with Joe Biden. And sure, certainly she made that, you know, leverage that to her advantage. And for her to sort of turn on him really personally hurt the, the president, but most of all hurt the first, you know, hurt Joe Biden. And she was not happy with it. And certainly behind the scenes that any friend of Bo, any um, any member of the family was furious at Kamala for sort of deploying this clearly calculated attack on Biden. And it was the, the reaction was very fierce. And nonetheless, he made her his running mate, <laughs> which I mean, truly, everybody was stunned by because that moment went viral in the campaign when she called him racist. And then he turns around and makes her his running mate. So that was pure identity politics. I mean, the way you write about it in the book, he was truly just checking a box. He had promised Clyborne he'd do it. He did it. And before you know it, he's stuck with her. But the way I read the story from you, he's never really embraced her. He kind of checked the box moved on. It doesn't seem like a very good relationship. Yeah. When they first were inaugurated and they, you know, when they first won the election, they did these interviews with people like CNN and, and Jake Tapper, and they'd really try to sell this version of how close they were, how personally um, tight they were, how they were going to work as true partners in the White House. But wow, when they got to the White House, what a change it seemed like Biden's top advisors had little to do, you know, didn't necessarily want anything to do with her. Um, Biden barely had lunch with her in the beginning. And certainly as things got more contentious, they had fewer and fewer lunches. And Kamala was kind of kind of pushed aside and, and to sort of fill these boxes for Biden when he needed her. But she certainly wasn't a true partner as as they as he promised. Are you right about how he's literally kept her masked, you know, during the covid events when he had to give a speech, she'd be in the back of the room masked. She'd be like his little nanny trying to say, like, don't forget to pull up your mask and never really wanted her to play a front and center role. But he has given her some toads, at least toads for Democrats, like, hey, you'll be in charge of root causes of immigration. You know, if Trump said that to a VP named Vivek Ramaswamy, we'd get something done. But in the Biden administration, which has no desire to do anything about immigration, to make her the front person on immigration is to humiliate her. Yeah, she famous after she was appointed, you know, to be addressed the root causes. She was furious at the idea when Republicans sort of ran with the idea that she was the immigration czar. So she took every chance available to be like, I'm not the immigration czar. This is not my issue. I'm just focusing on the root causes. And when she went to Guatemala, they she she was set up to deliver the message like do not come do not come which angered a lot of progressives uh, but uh, wow ever since she sent that message it seemed like everybody's coming at this point so it really <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> kind of backfired yeah like do the opposite of what she says yeah it's a serious problem uh, and she whatever she's done it hasn't done a single thing to help it seems to have only hurt um you write about in, in the book, not only her frosty relationship with the president, but also the first lady. So is that all a hangover from when she called Joe a racist, her, the, the problems with Jill? Yeah, I think it is. Um, she famously writes in her own memoirs, Jill, Jill writes in her memoirs that, she, you know, she's able to forgive, but she will never forget. And you definitely see that kind of take place as, as she, as they have events together. Look, on the surface, they're going to share the warm rhetoric and, and praise each other and and praise, you know, everything that they're doing. But 
behind the scenes, you certainly don't see that kind of friendship developing between the first lady and the first woman vice president. There's no, there's no power of the sisterhood. There's no, no connection there. It's, it's very much you, you are here. You serve my husband. I will appreciate you, but I don't think I'm necessarily going to fall in love with you as, as someone, as a, as a pal, you know, there's, it's yeah, just, I don't have there. to like you. What happened right. when they both wanted to go to Ukraine? Yeah, this is very interesting. Uh, back when everybody was sort of trying to be, all the leaders were trying to rush to Poland to demonstrate their support for Ukraine. Um, Joe Biden and her team were planning an event to go during her spring break because Dr. Biden's teaching at a, at a community college. So she wanted to spend spring break going to Poland. Well, it turned out Kamala Harris had the same idea and Kamala ended up winning out that race. Um, so not to be outdone, later, Joe Biden actually went to Ukraine for Mother's Day, met with the first lady there and sort of one-upped her in this sort of, maybe it's not a complete power struggle, but there's a little bit of behind the scenes um, competition there. Is there any chance, based on what you've written and researched, that he wants to or would find a way to get her off the ticket on his reelection bid? bid? Yeah, I think he's stuck. I don't I don't think that he personally is ready to move. He remembers how insulting it was when Obama was sort of shopping this idea of replacing him on the ticket with Hillary. So he'll never publicly say that or never, never even behind the scenes. He's not even going to tell his advisors that he does not want that to leak. If anything like that leaks, that's devastating because he can't get rid of her because if he does, it's admitting he made a huge mistake. And he'll also anger, it's a very political decision made on identity. So he'll also anger all those constituencies he was trying to, you know, help and promote by simply by putting her on the ticket. She has a, according to the latest USA Today Suffolk University poll, which was late in December, she has an approval rating of 33%, disapprove 57%. That's even worse than his. <laughs> um, does she have delusions that she actually could run for president and win? Well, that's the that's the point of the book is like, maybe she doesn't have to run for president again, right? If if Biden wins re-election, there's a very good chance she could be the next president without having to go through another election, not having to go to Iowa where she was so miserable spending her Thanksgiving in Iowa. And it, she won't even have to do that anymore because it's now in South Carolina. But there's a very good chance that she never has to run for real for election. She'll just be the next president if Joe Biden steps down. Mm. That's why we need to be paying a little bit closer attention to her in advance of this next election. I mean, they always say like a heartbeat away from the president. And sadly, in this case, it's actually true. We, we all know Joe Biden's condition doesn't look good. He does not look vibrant. And he's a genuine, genuinely elderly man. So, you know, good health or not, anything can happen when you're in your 80s. God bless. Um, what's the story with how, forgive me, but how dumb she sounds, but she just does. She like, is she not a smart person? Well, she certainly as vice president, she's become a little, a little nervous and a little bit coached, right? They've, they, when they brought her in, she, it was in very much need of lots of media training. And a lot of that is, is showing up where she, she con continues on with these run-on sentences, so many dependent clauses. And it yes. seems like her vote told her, you know, say a word, then define the word, and then open up warmly to your audience. None of those coaching 
things are working. She, you find herself sort of spinning around in circles, throwing in more dependent clauses, defining terms that everybody knows, trying to you know connect with people. And so at this point, she's sort of resulted into a basically semi-competent rehearser uh, of talking points. I think on The View yesterday, she was very much focused, very much coached, spewing out the talking points for the next, for the election campaign. And there really wasn't any personal moment there. It was very much uh, rehearsed. Yeah. Oh, all right. We have examples of all this, which I really want to get into. Okay. So she was on The View yesterday, being universally praised in the left-wing press, but you know how amazing and powerful she was, which are words you never hear about Kamala Harris. Here she is talking about uh, the her feelings about Trump winning. Sound bite one. Now, are, are you scared, first of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared as heck. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I'm traveling our country. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two ways to run mm. for office, either without an opponent or scared. So on all of those points, yes, we should all be scared. We don't run away from something when we're scared. We fight back against it. We have to earn the reelect, and we have to communicate what we have achieved. Yeah. We've done a lot of good work. We need to net let people know who brung it to them. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, here she is over on ABC uh, th th that same day or the next day with a very similar message. Take a listen, Sot 6. You've been confident. Your campaign has been confident. Some are concerned. You all may be a little too confident. Why not go out and attack no. Donald Trump? Go after his legal challenges. What are you guys waiting for? Well, let me just tell you something. I am of the school that you either run without an opponent or you run scared. <laughs> oh, my God. She went on, I think, in that same soundbite to say the thing about brung you. It's it's these are lines. A lot of politicians use lines, uses they use lines, but it's not because they have to. That, that's the thing with her. When she gets off script, you're right. It's always word salad or inanity. You called our attention to this clip, and I think it it's a great example of what we're talking. This should have been a home run. The if if you could be a, a superhero, what power would you like to have? Like what what would be your favorite power? Right. I mean, like I'd love to fly. It'd be so cool. Is asked this question. She was what? She was in a Zoom with all the Marvel stars, and she's asked this simple question. Okay, so this is a no-brainer. And so it's and it's incredibly foreseeable you'll be asked that in that particular setting. But I mean, <laughs> exactly. pick any of them or anything. I would like to see, I'd like to be invisible. I'd like to be able to see through things. I'd like superhuman strength or speed. Whatever, pick something. Here's what she said in Sot 11. Lots of superpowers I would love to have that you all have. Um, but I think that, you know, when we think of the princess of Wakanda, um, that incredible sister, um, Shuri, I, I think that, you know, the ability to like come together and develop new technologies and tackle climate change and invest in, you know, I, I often say that the, the ability that we should all have to be able to see what can be unburdened oh by what has been right um i think that's such an incredible superpower that is her favorite platitude she always <laughs> goes there she doesn't know what to say she never has anything insightful or profound to offer that's a great example of it she climate change hero who's that which which super 
power is that? Yeah, it's almost like she takes her own line, her own superhero line that you did such a great montage of it in a show the other day. It's it's her favorite line. She really wants it to be her hope and change. It still hasn't caught on and she keeps using it. In, in this instance, she tries to shoehorn her her unburdened by what has been into a Marvel superhero and then say that that's suddenly her. She's the superhero. And it's funny how dedicated she is to this idea of superheroes because she wrote a children's book right before she ran for president. um, And and it has a lot of videos of her sitting on this couch telling all these children how they are superheroes. I'm a superhero. You're a superhero. Everybody's a superhero. So it's kind of funny. She'll talk about how she's a nerd, but she really just can't answer a simple nerd question. We clearly need to see that soundbite again. Her unburdened by what has been nonsense. Here it is, Sat 9. I can imagine what can be and be unburdened by what has been. You know? What can be unburdened by what has been. What can be unburdened by what has oh been. God. What can be unburdened by what has been. What can be unburdened by what has been. What we can see, what we believe can be unburdened by what has been. What can be. Oh my be God. Unburdened by what has been. What can be unburdened by what has been. Oh my Lord. I can't. What a great really shot of Bill Clinton sitting there, kind of slumped in his chair. Like, I can't believe I'm listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the, the thing that is, makes it especially noxious to me is her acting, you know, like, unburdened by what has been you know like like she's just bought of it she's she's gonna take (laughs) you there she doesn't have it she she doesn't have it the it factor that the thing it the thing that penetrates the lens the thing that makes people want to listen to you that makes you a dynamic speaker you know she thinks she's rush limbaugh she's not it's just and it's so obvious so there's there's a couple of examples i do think what is it about her Is it that she's a simpleton because she tries to, quote, explain things to people all the time as though she's talking to a two year old? And look, I talk to my audience about complex things all the time, and I never assume anybody understands, you know, a complex thing. I always give a couple lines of explanation because people are living their lives and they're not following politics day and night like I am. But I don't treat them like they're idiots. I have a respect for my audience's intelligence that they deserve because I talk to my audience. They call in all the time on SiriusXM. They write in at MeganKelly.com. She talks to the people listening to her like she thinks they're on the short bus. Forgive me, but she does. So here is an example of what I'm talking about in Sod 8. So Ukraine is a country in (laughs) Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. This issue of transportation is fundamentally about just making sure that people have the ability to get where they need to go. Space is exciting. It spurs our imaginations, and it forces us to ask big questions. Space, it affects us all, and it connects us all. It gives us a sense of the magnitude of it all. Earth is kind of small. Earth is like a speck. 
Yeah. Earth is small. He looks through it. Yeah, there's some other ones where she talks about how hard hats are are actually unisex. And one time trying to make a joke and nobody laughed. And then there's another incident where she talks about how, what it was like. She's telling a group of audience, she's telling an, an audience of people connected to NASA what it's like to launch into space and goes on and climbed into the rocket ship and they sat down and they put on their helmet and they launched. So she's been through <laughs> a number of speechwriters. This is not a job that too many people want. And I sort of outlined that in a chapter of the book talking about her staff overturn and how high it is. Yes. But I feel like at one point there was a speechwriter that told her, bring it down to the simplest terms and then connect with your audience on those terms. Uh, I don't think she really got the lesson because even in her even in her teleprompter speeches, she can't quite make it work. And certainly in roundtables, it's a disaster. Yes. Yeah, so do we think this is those examples? Is that her or is that speechwriters? It doesn't really matter because in the end, she's the one delivering it. If a speechwriter ever wrote a speech for me as vice president and it read like that, I'd tear it up and I'd fire that person. So it kind of doesn't matter. But I am curious if you know the answer. Yeah, I, it, a big part of it is her. Uh, there has been so many stories about how terrible she has been on just even delivering the most scripted lines. There's a lot of stories of people who just quit in frustration, um, knowing that even that famous interview she did about the border set, you know, that that one where she talks about how she hasn't been to the border, but she hasn't been to Europe either. Uh, yeah. That was after significant meeting training, media training, and they had prepared her to answer that question. And when it came time to answer that question on live television, uh, she came up with her own thing, and it was just totally astonishing. It's amazing. Like as a, as your as a politician, I would imagine the Bill Clintons of the world, the Trumps of the world. Trust your instincts is a good moniker. Like when you don't know, or you know, thing to remember. If you don't know the answer, trust your instincts. If you're one of those guys, with her, it's exactly the opposite. Whatever your instincts are telling you, do the opposite. Do the George Costanza. Do not trust your instincts. Here she is the other day talking to um, University of South Carolina women's basketball team. This was just on Monday. Watch this. When the people are in these stands watching you, be they parents or students or kids, you're lifting them up. When people are out here saying, oh, are they saying yay? Or they say all of the things that they say in response to the game. You're lifting them up with a sense of joy about being a part of a community. And we need that. Oh, my God. She she doesn't know how to connect with people. What, What is she saying? You're making the audience feel good when you when you play well. Duh. Let me explain to you. Nothing additional in anything she says. Go ahead, Charlie. (laughs) Yeah, let me explain to her to you what it's like to be a basketball player. Let me explain what you should be feeling (laughs) as well as what you're supposed to be doing. And and it's like, no, I don't need you to explain, Kamala. I need you to, you know, pretend I'm actually here and actually uh thank me for what I do and just move forward and and make me feel human (laughs) when I'm talking to you and don't give me the, the kindergarten speech. That's that's the problem. It, There's just the kindergarten speeches where she's looking down at you, um, trying to explain uh, a concept that kind of everybody knows. Right. All I feel is insulted. I, my intelligence is insulted. I'm bored by you. I'm offended by you. And, you know, the thing is, it almost makes me re- think of Oprah. So Oprah 
actually was full of profundities when she did that show. You know, I realize I have different feelings about her today, too, when she's gone political. But back in the day, you know, when I was young in law school and you turn on the Oprah Winfrey show, you would hear something that would give you, oh, that's good. That's good. like something. She's the one we got aha moment from. You know, she had these little catchphrases where you're like, oh, yeah, that's something to think about. And her team would set it to music, you know, and they'd slow mm-hmm. down the interaction. They put in slow-mo, like her hug with a firefighter or something. And you'd be moved. You'd think, oh, wow, yeah. I feel inspired. She thinks she's Oprah. She thinks we're going to add a little twinkly music. I'm going to say it like this. And even though it's total inanity, it's going to move people. Wow, that's such a good point, Megan. I never connected her with Oprah. Uh, You know, early in her career, she was sort of selected as one of the rising young women politicians. And she did get a feature on the Oprah channel way back in the day. But I never really got the. I never really thought about that, how. Maybe she's just trying to be Oprah. Maybe she's trying to be a healer. Maybe she's trying to empower and encourage women. Um, at this point, I, I'll you know I've spoken to a lot of women about her. A lot of them don't feel the same way. Yeah, it's a no. Um, <laughs> it's a no, <laughs> including like her approval rating so low. Okay, I mean, thirty three percent. There there are more women in America than that. Um, she also, in her attempt to inspire and tell her own inspirational story, whether it's her role as a superhero because she's unburdened by what has been, um, or whether it's with the basketball team, like, you know, you throw the ball, people feel good. She tells this personal story about herself that it's come into question just this week on whether this is her story or someone else's story. So she told the story on Fallon. She also gave it to Elle magazine. It's appeared a couple of other places. I'll give you the example. It resurfaced this week on X, um, SOT 12. You get that energy from your uh, your parents or the the thought of, hey, I have to fight for what's right and um, yeah. I got to get out there. And I mean, when, when were you out there protesting? Well, I was in a stroller. <laughs> I was in a stroller. And so I was out there. And in fact, my what? mother used to have a very funny story about I was fussing and 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 she said Kamala what do you want and I said and this is how she would say it and she said Kamala what do you want and I said freedom no. <laughs> oh come on freedom. it was a much cuter story when she would tell it but that's the story okay um in January 1965 Martin Luther King gave an interview to Playboy magazine The quote is as follows. I never will forget. This is MLK. I never will forget a moment in Birmingham when a white policeman accosted a little Negro girl, seven or eight years old, who was walking in a demonstration with her mother. What do you want? The policeman asked her gruffly. And the little girl looked him straight in the eye and answered, freedom. She couldn't even pronounce it, but she knew it was beautiful. I mean, it's almost word for word, that the, it looked me right in the eyes. What do you want? Couldn't pronounce it. And I said, freedom. I, I'm calling bullshit on it. I, there's just, <laughs> You're I, not am, the only. I don't believe her. <laughs> yeah. Barry Wise was one of the ones that pointed out a lot of people on X or Twitter at the time sort of called her out on that is what's funny about that story is that when she told it to Elle magazine, 
she told the story about how she had fallen out of the stroller and her parents went on without her. And then later for her vice presidential nomination speech, she changed the story to, I went to protest strapped tightly in my stroller and sort of left the falling out of the stroller part out entirely. But yeah, I think a lot of people are right to call out this moment. Yeah. That little girl appears to, you know, she appears to, that little girl was me. She's stolen somebody else's story. That's how it sounds. She stole the story from the MLK interview, inserted herself into it to make herself sound like she had some greater purpose and knew it right from a young age. And honestly, like if a white person had done this, can you imagine the blowback? It doesn't make it any better that she did it. It's not her story. It's obviously not her story. There's a reason why she says in so many events, she says, never let anyone else tell your story. You be the one to tell your story. And of course, if you're telling the story, then you'll be the hero of your own story. You'll be the, you know, it's all part of the civil rights narrative. Like I grew up marching and shouting for justice in Berkeley, California. Like somehow I was pushing for change that was already there. But you definitely notice this about Kamala Harris. She likes to tell her own story and she will take any advantage and any license to sort of make it appear more, you know, better than what it is. And meanwhile, wasn't she raised for the most part up in Canada, going to some Tony French school? Like how much time did she spend on the streets of Berkeley chanting and marching? Yeah, she lived in Burke, or she lived in Montreal up in Canada when she went to high school. And so she didn't really have much of an experience as an American, let alone somebody in the Deep South. So her identity is very much tied up with sort of the, the elite upbringing of a child of academics. Makes perfect sense. All right, stand by. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and come right back, Charlie. This is fascinating. Great stuff. Don't forget, buy the book now. It's called Appropriately amateur hour. Okay. Buy it. Support Charlie amateur hour. I think you'll laugh, you'll cry, and probably you'll be sure to vote. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. It is not just, you know, mean people on the center right who have noticed that Kamala Harris is all too easy to laugh at. It's also folks like The Daily Show, which, you know, they're committed leftists, but she's just too rich in the material to ignore. And even they saw the opportunity to pick it up. Here's a bit they aired in October of 22. My fellow Americans, words have many meanings, and sometimes instead of conveying our meaning, they can suggest other meanings. When we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. Well, we are the United States of America because we are united. And we are states. Um, talking about the significance <laughs> of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. 
So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Obesity God. is a serious disease, and it needs to be taken seriously. You need to get to go, and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. I hope that clarifies <laughs> the issue, and this can be the last word on those words. Certain issues are just settled. Clearly we're not. No, that's right, and that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled times. <laughs> what a closer because that that clip of uh costa he is uh asking her about abortion and she has this reputation of being such a great fighter on abortion but when she first started out she really struggled on the issue and, and really struggled to explain to women exactly what the biden administration was going to do after roe was overturned the one thing she does seem to care about legitimately is anything involving race i mean she is one of the first people to tout it, exploit it, rush in to make a political moment out of it. She, she flew right, right down to Tennessee when those lawmakers had their hissy fit about not getting their way on the, the floor in South Carolina. She injected herself into the Jacob Blake um, when he resisted arrest and tried to attack police and then got shot. Um, I could go down. She, there's, there's many other examples during the Black Lives Matter protests. She, if she sees anything having to do with race, she's the first to raise her hand and say, let me, let me. So is that sincerely held? Is that political? Both. A little bit of both. Absolutely. The Biden team sees her. That's her biggest value on the ticket, right? Is to go down there, um, pull out your best Al Sharpton, and then make the issue very much all about race and, and how racist the Republicans are. You know, she talks so much about being unburdened by what has been, but she actually likes to burden everybody with what has been. And she likes to remind people constantly. of what. <laughs> <has been. laughs> so we're it, it's really it's really a big reason why they chose her. They chose her during the riots, the George Floyd riots uh, over the summer when Biden promised that he would select a woman vice president in a debate. Um, it became very obvious that it could not just be a woman vice president, it had to be a black woman vice president. Because when they when people looked back at why they lost to Trump, they realized that without Obama on the ticket, they could not appeal to enough Democrats to get him across the finish line. Hillary famously ch chose Senator Tim Kaine as her running mate, most vanilla white guy ever. Uh, about so him. that was not a success. So advisors, Biden's advisors knew that he had to select a black woman even though he didn't necessarily want to. Uh, Biden wanted to choose Gretchen Whitmore more than anybody else. He really wanted to do it. He even admitted to Clyburn during the decision that had a hard time, you know, making a decision between his heart and his head. Well, his advisors eventually conjoled, especially Barack Obama, who's also a big Kamala advocate, you know, convinced him that this was the best choice to beat Trump. And they were kind of scared. So they kind of had to do that, do that. And Wow, that's really what she has become a spokesman for anything revolved, you know, involved on race because Biden can't do it. We saw him so many times during the debates where he would start talking about race issues and, and people would leftists would groan and, sh you know, shake their heads like, what are you doing? Talking about segregationists, what are you doing? Talking about, you know, black kids, poor folks being just as good as white kids, you know, and, and making mm -hmm. repeated gas on race. So they knew they had to have somebody that could do it better. It's amazing. That's that's an actual Joe Biden quote. Poor folks, just as good as white as white folks or just as smart, whatever. We know what you mean. We get it. OK, there are a lot of white kids who are poor, too. Hello. Hello, Joe Biden. So, yeah, she's supposed to erase his 
racial insensitivity because he's he now he's got like the insurance card like hey what, what do you mean i i made the vice president a black woman um she just the other day when i mentioned that abc interview which she had the exact same language as she had with the view um once again with the word salad now you would think the one thing because like remember when ted kennedy ran and one of the problems in his run the reason they didn't believe that he made it was he didn't have a clear reason for running like he didn't make it 100% clear. This is my mission. This is what I stand for. And this is why I'm running. And this moment kind of reminded me of that. She doesn't have it either. She was asked uh, and it's SOT 5. Take a listen. Do you think Donald Trump at this point is a foregone conclusion? I don't know. But look, if it is Donald Trump, we've beat him before and we'll beat him again. Uh, when you, again, look at all of the issues that are at stake, including our standing in the world, I think that the people of America um, want more in terms of um, the outcome of this election and, and, and charting the, the course for the future of our country. It's just a bunch of nothing. It's She's an air sandwich. And I'll tell you what she reminds me of. I just said this to my team. Do you remember it was back in 2006? We covered this on my show at the time on Fox or on Fox. Was it six, 2006, Deb? How can that be? Anyway, um, it must have been seven because I didn't get my show until 2007. Um, she she ran for Miss Teen USA. Remember this girl? She was asked, we found the question, some something about why some Americans can't find the United States on a map. Why do you think that is? And here's how this gal answered. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps. And uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future. That's our vice president. It's the same wow. person. <laughs> you, you know, you're a trained broadcaster, so you immediately notice the, the cues when she doesn't know what she said, and you see this with Kamala too, she'll like look down and then look back up at the camera and then look down and then look back up and then look furtively around it if she doesn't know what she's saying. So yeah, still need to work on the, the media training. If you definitely think before you speak, but do some more thinking. That beep, <laughs> that beep comparison from, by The Daily Show was spot on. And honestly, this, this young gal, like it would be like this young gal going on to be vice president. Um, the other problem with Kamala Harris is, and look, you know, I'm sure, you know, her husband loves her and she's a nice stepmom to the, her two daughters. Uh, look, the American people feel differently uh, about her. And the, the truth is her staff doesn't like her because she cannot retain staff. And this has been a story from the time she became vice president. The media loves to report on how Ron DeSantis' super PAC has had all these problems internally. Take a look at Kamala Harris because she cannot keep speechwriters or anyone else for that matter. So why is that? Well, a big part of when she came in, she made a very big point of hiring a, a very diverse staff. That seemed to be the number one priority. And then when she got in the office with everybody, she realized that they, they it was really hard to work together with each other. And certainly DC professionals are very smart and they're very focused on you know creating a career. And when they 
ended up at the VP's office, they probably thought, hey, this is a good moment for my career and I can leverage this up to something bigger. But when that is going nowhere, you you and I know that DC professionals tend to leave pretty quickly if, if it doesn't look like that this person is going to take you far into success. So there was definitely a major overturning that happened. I think it was 13 people in, in the first year or the first couple of years in the first 18 months, I think it was. And so many people just leaving and even senior people leaving, you know, famous, famous people like um, her press secretary left for a show on MSNBC, uh, her speechwriters left, um, and so many others, just even her advanced people were leaving very, very early on. Like They were just not happy there. Hmm. You write in the book about, again, uh, the book out uh, next week, it, it called Amateur Hour. You write in the book about, she's got this thing about a specific kind of pen. And when I first started to read it, I was like, well, I like, I like a certain kind of pen. I actually like these pens right here. They are Uniball Vision Elite. I like these little pens because they have like a fine point and the, they never break. They never like, they're not expensive. You can get them right now. It goes beyond that with her. Right. A staffer would, you know, so much reporting was done about a staffer who would come up, she'd be like, not this pen and, and demand that the staffer go get the right pen. Uh, so many incidents of where she would, you know, show up unprepared for an interview and then and then yell at the yell at the staffer that briefed her on it as as making the mistakes, blaming it all on her or on, on the staffer rather than taking responsibility herself. And so you're not very much. A, you're, it's very clear she's not a very good leader of people. So if she can't even lead her staff, how is she going to lead the country? How is she going to lead even her cabinet when it's all been mm -hmm. previously by Joe Biden? She's going to be kind of running this zombie camp cabinet if she becomes president that was picked by Joe Biden. How is she going to make that happen? I think there's a lot of questions. And I, there's people on the right and the left that are concerned. And they're not racist or sexist just for being concerned and pointing that out. Yeah. She expects you to have her pen if you work for her in your office, just in case she comes by and needs to write something. See how good you have it, Abigail Finan. I never do that to you. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to, you can have your own pens. <laughs> it's absurd. The book is very interesting. You've gotten some great nuggets in here. Thank you so much for doing the work, Charlie Spearing. Please come back. Again, everyone buy it. It's called Amateur Hour. It's available for purchase January 23rd, but get your copy now because you know how these things go. They sell out. You don't want to be on the end of that list amateur hour. Get it now. All the best to you, sir. Thank you so much, Megan. What a great platform you've created. And I'm really happy to debut the launch of the book uh, here on the show. Oh, thank you. It's our honor. We'll be right back with Billboard Chris. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Now we are joined by someone I have been wanting to talk to for the longest time. His name is Chris Elston, also known as Billboard Chris. If you're on X at all, you've probably seen pictures or little snippets of Billboard Chris. He's been doing more than virtually anyone to call attention to the gender insanity that we have unleashed on our children, both here and as Knowles calls it, our evil top hat Canada, where Billboard Chris does a lot of his work. Now he travels all over North America, spreading the truth about the very real harms of this radical new push. Chris, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Megan. It's a huge honor to be here. Who would have ever thought that in my 40s, I'd be traveling the world talking about why we shouldn't be sterilizing kids and cutting off their body parts. We live in a crazy world. You know what? Thank you for saying that. Can I tell you, there's something that's been on my mind is here as people are discussing why Ron DeSantis did not resonate more with the GOP electorate, they're actually saying things like, well, the trans stuff, you know, he was too, he he was too radical for the moderates on the trans stuff. I completely reject that completely reject. These are Republican moderates. These aren't Democrat. These are Republican moderates. And secondly, I don't care. Even if that is a reason he didn't resonate with them, Good for him for fighting the fight. We're talking about the sterilization of children, Chris. Yes. So first of all, any commentators saying that, that's complete nonsense. I've had more conversations all around the world on this subject than probably anyone with people on the street and at university campuses. And even from day one, when I first started doing this, more than 90% of the population supports this message because obviously... We all know instinctively that our children are beautiful just as they are. They don't need drugs and scalpels to find their true selves. And the one issue that Republicans should be hammering away on is this one, because they'll get support all day long from every Republican voter, almost every centrist. And they're also going to pick up a lot of the moderate Democrats, especially people from demographics they don't historically do very well with, the Black community, the Hispanic community, and the Asians and all the immigrant groups, none of them support this. There was, um, of all the candidates, Ron DeSantis was, I think, perfect on this issue. Vivek Ramaswamy, I'd also say he was perfect. I did see you agree with that, but you called Vivek out on one thing in a nice way. And I think it's something I'm still struggling to understand too. So I'm going to play this sound, but you can explain where where his language was off in your view and educate us all on how we should be talking about the word gender. Here's Vivek and SOT 22. And you know how we're doing it? We're doing it by speaking the truth at every step of the way. There are two genders in this country, period. That is the truth. For the listening audience, that was Vivek the other night when he was endorsing Trump in New Hampshire. So explain your thoughts on the use of that word. Yeah, so if this were five years ago, I'd say that language is fine. 
And I get what he's saying, and of course he's right. But the word we should be using is the word sex, because this word gender has been really co-opted by the left, and they use it to mean something else. Essentially, for them, your gender is a feeling inside, and it means your gender identity. Well, there's no such thing as a gender identity. We don't have gendered souls inside. I have this expression that there are two sexes, there are zero genders, and there are infinite personalities, because that sums us all up. And we all knew this for the longest time, of course. And for a long time, we used gender as a polite synonym for sex. But the word has come to mean too many different things, and we need to take back this language. And we should just talk about there being two sexes. Because for the left, your gender is just a feeling. It's total nonsense. It's confusing children. So we should just get back to the very basics of this. So do you take that as far as to what do you do about using the term gender when you're saying gender ideology or the gender madness? Do you still <laughs> use it there or do you do, like is should it yeah, never be I, used if we're saying it's not a thing at all? So I realize, you know, what I'm pushing for, this is a big ask, but yes, I do use the words gender ideology. And essentially this ideology really started in the late fifties with a doctor from Johns Hopkins university named John money yeah. who coined the term gender identity. And this theory of gender identity was floating around academia for decades in obscure corners of these universities. And that was okay. It wasn't affecting the large society in a whole, but it's really emerged from these universities into the mainstream where we're now teaching children that they all have a gender identity. And you've got three kids. Of course, you understand if you teach something to children and you're some authority figure, you're a teacher, they're going to believe that. And if you tell children they have a gender identity, what's the next thing that goes through their mind? It's, well, what is my gender identity? And how do you determine what it is? Right. And how do you determine what that is? No one can define this. I ask this question all the time. No one can tell me what it is. But if you look at all of the materials that these trans activists make, essentially, it's all based on stereotypes. So if you're a tomboy, well, maybe you're an actual boy. Or if you're an effeminate little boy, does this mean he's a girl? He's somewhere on the spectrum between being a boy and a girl? This is all complete nonsense. There's no right way to be a boy or girl. This is the message we should be sending. And so I just want to get rid of the word altogether because we have two sexes. Way it's always been, it's the way it's always going to be. And for now, especially, this word gender is just confusing a generation of kids. It's gotten so crazy. You know, we went from being tolerant of a very small sliver of the population that had, uh, I think, back then, you know, 15 years ago, was suffering with a genuine mental illness or problem uh, related to their gender and like what, what body they were supposed to be in, quote unquote, into this radical fad that is spreading like the plague. It's like a contagion that we can't seem to contain. And to the contrary, we're, we're fostering it. We're fanning it. We, it's like, we want everyone to catch it just before well, I came in the show, I was scrolling on X and somebody had posted that they brought their cat in to the vet and they had to fill out one of those forms. You know, this is the name of my cat. This is why I'm, this is what kind of cat it is. This is why I'm bringing him in. And they had gender. They wanted male, female, non-binary or other for his cat. <laughs> We've lost our minds. This is a great point. And I bring this up sometimes in these conversations I have on the street. I say, do dogs have gender? Do chimpanzees have a gender? Why is it only humans who have a gender that might be different than your sex? And what does it mean for a girl to be a boy? Nobody can ever answer these questions. But 
you know, I think when people are having these conversations, a lot of people don't know how to talk about it. And so the number one thing you can do is really this Socratic method of debate. It's asking questions. For most people, this isn't complicated. If people know nothing about this and you tell them what's going on, you tell them we're blocking puberty and perfectly healthy children, right away they're horrified. But for the people who are on the fence or maybe a bit aggressive or hostile, just ask them questions. What does it mean for a girl to be a boy? And then pause because they have no answer. And say things that they agree with. This is a very successful strategy because people will come at me on the street, for example, thinking I'm some terrible bigot. And they're really amped up. They have this adrenaline dump. Sometimes they're literally shaking. And I'll just say, look, first of all, children are beautiful just as they are. If a girl is a tomboy, fine. If a boy's more effeminate, whatever. And every single leftist, no matter how far left they are, will agree with that statement. So in that moment, you've done this beautiful thing. You've created this moment of cognitive dissonance, where there's now two ideas going on in their brain. They came in in this conversation thinking you were evil. Now you said something they can't help but agree with. And hostile people are never going to agree with you in that moment, but they're going to go home and they're going to have to make sense of this. Because ultimately, we have a huge percentage of our youth who have been deceived. And a lot of the people pushing this are not evil. They've just been lied to. And we just need to get the truth to them. And you don't do that by hammering away at them. You do that by finding sources of agreement and getting them to think about their own beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's so dark because what has happened in most of these cases is the, the these people with an agenda, and in some instances, it's the money people, um, you know, like whether it's the Pritzkers or it's the hospitals that stand to earn millions of dollars thanks to these procedures. They push this narrative and the schools sign on and they exploit children's, I think oftentimes women's, but also men's natural desire to be tolerant, to be kind, to want to understand and like open up the tent for people who are other and try to make things easier for them. And they don't, they haven't, it, it's maybe a good thing in general that their instincts aren't, I distrust somebody telling me to do this. I reject your assertions that this person needs my support. I think I'm being misled. Those, those are not our instincts, but in this lane, they need to be. That's right. So the left has been very successful with language. All the terminology they use is the exact opposite of what this is. It's not gender affirming care. This is child abuse. It's not top surgery. It's a radical elective double mastectomy. It's not bottom surgery. It's creating a lifelong medical patient. These boys have to dilate this wound that gets created for the rest of their life. And these children are now reliant on some exogenous source of hormones for the rest of their life. They're cutting out the wombs of teenage girls and sending them into menopause. None of this is kind. And I say all the time, whether you believe in God or evolution, this ideology makes no sense. Because if you believe in God, this ideology teaches that we are made wrong by our creator. And if you believe in evolution, this ideology is teaching that somehow... One billion years of the process of natural selection has failed. And we now need a pharmaceutical company to help our children be their true mm. selves. It's total madness. This whole thing is experimental. Yet you can't even bring this to the quality of being a, a legitimate experiment. Because with actual experiments, there are guidelines to follow. There are rules. There are objectives you're trying to achieve. All of this is just the Wild West. They found out that this drug which is used on sex offenders to chemically castrate them. It's a drug used to stop prostate cancer and endometriosis in women. But they found out that this, this drug also stops puberty. 
it stops girls from releasing estrogen. It stops boys from producing testosterone. So this stops them from going into puberty. Their secondary sex characteristics won't develop. Girls' breasts won't grow. Their hips won't get wider. Boys' penises don't grow. They're suffering loss of bone density. A girl in Sweden was on this drug for three years, and she has osteopenia. She suffered spinal fractures. She's in chronic pain. A mom I talked to in California, her daughter was also on this for three years. They did bone scans each year. She lost 11% of her bone density when they should have been getting stronger. Some small studies show that this is causing children to lose IQ points. A study with sheep showed there was cognitive decline. We're playing God with children's bodies and calling this progress because they're being taught that they're born wrong? What a psychologically all... abusive thing to say to a child that they're born wrong and they need to be something they're not. And that's all. All those things you just listed are the effects of the so-called harmless pause of puberty blockers. And we'll get into what happens when you do puberty blockers into cross-sex hormones. But you're talking about just puberty blockers, which are pushed on us by Everyone, all the medical societies, the pediatrics groups, the endocrine groups, it's a nothing. It's a harmless pause to give your little one time to figure out what he or she really is. And you do not get the list of she may have osteoporosis or penia by the time she's 18 because she didn't develop the right strength of bones. She, she may lose IQ points. Your son is going to be taking the same things they give to convicted child molesters to stop him from feeling anything that is normal during puberty. That's, that's what you're signing up for. Yes. And you just hit on one of the two objections that these trans activists will give you. They only have two things that they can say. One is that puberty blockers are reversible that these are harmless, that it buys the child time to explore their gender identity. This is a sales pitch. What they're really saying is that, sure, if you, went a kid, if you put a kid on puberty blockers for three months, took them off, yes, puberty is going to resume. But that's not what happens. We know from gender clinic statistics themselves that once you start a child on puberty blockers, 98% of them will go on to the opposite sex's hormones. Whereas if you left these kids alone, we know from all of the academic studies that were done before they gave kids puberty blockers, the last one completed in 2004, and since then they've been giving these kids these drugs. But all of the previous studies, the most recent one followed 139 boys from when they were five years old all the way into their 20s. 87.8% of them saw their gender dysphoria, this extreme distress about their sex. They saw it just go away. They grew out of it. 63.6% grew up to be gay. And all these previous studies show a similar thing. You had all these really effeminate little boys. Some of them would grow up to be gay. But the cure, Megan, for their gender dysphoria was puberty itself. Now we block the cure. And instead of their own hormones helping them to feel comfortable, we're giving them the opposite sex's hormones. It's the exact opposite thing we should be doing. So that's one objection. The other one is that kids are going to kill themselves if they don't transition. And this is just a manipulative, coercive lie designed to silence debate and to shut up parents. Parents are told at these meetings with these gender ideologues in these children's hospitals that you got two options, mom and dad. You can have a dead son or a live daughter. And so these parents who know nothing about this, they're afraid. Of course, they don't want to lose their child and they go along with this. But there's absolutely no evidence to support it. In fact, the only evidence we do have points to the opposite.
The trans people, their advocates always have some study, Chris. It's like, oh no, this study proves our line of thinking. And my anecdotal observation is anybody who's a legitimate scientist can spend two minutes looking at these quote studies that they put up and see that they were done by activists, people with a a thumb on the scale so that they could get to the conclusion that the trans activists want to see. And if you come to an objective conclusion, you're a real scientist or social scientist, and you come up with an opposite result of the one they want, they will try to ruin you in your career. That's right. So to be honest, you don't need a study to know that girls are girls and boys are boys and our kids are beautiful just as they are. And that's the message we should be sending them. This whole ideology teaches that if they're having discomfort in puberty, well, maybe they're trans. I give these speeches all the time and I'll ask the women in the audience, who here loved going through puberty growing up? Not one arm has yet gone into the air. Right. And then I say, congratulations, you're all transgender. Because essentially having discomfort with puberty now means you're somewhere on the spectrum of being trans. And if you're a tomboy, oh my gosh, maybe you're an actual boy. Well, guess what? Being a tomboy is just more fun. It can be more fun to climb trees and play in the dirt and have short hair. And maybe you don't want to wear a dress. Puberty is a hard time. Girls are getting sexualized by men. Their bodies are changing. Of course, there's going to be some distress. But throughout the long history of humanity, kids weren't killing themselves because they were going through puberty. I even get people coming up to me on the street saying, because I wear this sign saying children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And these people will say to me, if children can't consent to puberty blockers, how can they consent to puberty? I mean, it's just totally insane. I don't need to be engaged because it's hilarious. But that's like saying, how can you consent to having your hair grow or to your heart beat? To breathing. These are natural processes. Exactly. You know, I think about this and I've told my audience this before, Chris, but and I, but I, I show this picture for a reason. When I was growing up, I was a tomboy. I n- never wore anything other than my little Levi's jeans, a T-shirt that was usually dirty, my hair. I got it cut like a boy. I liked the way it looked. I liked the way it made me feel. I didn't want long hair. I certainly never wore a dress. This is my favorite picture of myself. If you saw this without knowing, you probably think that's a boy. That's me. It's my favorite picture of myself in my dirty sweatshirt with my jeans and my sneakers with my boy hair on a tire swing, smiling from ear to ear. They would try to take this girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way to go on them. You got to go on them like that. I have nightmares about those things. They would take that girl today and tell her she's a boy. You're a tomboy. You like sports. I was the only girl on the all boys baseball team. That's what I wanted. My mom's like, fine, you can play. They would say, she's a boy. Let's pause the puberty. Anyone can see I am all woman. I'm actually quite feminine. Um, It's absurd. It's scary to me. Right. That version of me, had I been born to some leftist parents in 2024, could be considered a, quote, they be that suddenly was like, well, we will figure it out. Okay, you like baseball. You like jeans. You like dirt. You don't like dresses. You like toy guns. You're probably a boy. Right. So let's talk about who these kids are who are transitioning. These typically aren't the quarterbacks of the football team and the cheerleaders. These are kids who are struggling, who are having body image issues. About half of these kids are on the autism spectrum. We know from the Tavistock, which is the biggest gender clinic in the world, being shut down now in England. But we know from their own statistics, from 1,038 kids, 35% had moderate to severe autism, never mind the more mild cases. These are kids in many instances who've suffered trauma, abuse, 
family problems. Kids in state care are overrepresented 10 times. Back where I'm from in British Columbia, we've got one psychologist who works for the uh, British Columbia Ministry of Children and Family Development. He's transitioning more than 1,000 kids, including more than 500 in state care. His name's Wallace Wong, and he gave a talk where he admitted to all this at the Vancouver Public Library. He even told these kids and their parents who were present that if you're not getting the drugs you want, the puberty blockers or the hormones quickly enough, say you're suicidal. It works every mm-hmm. time. So, so, so these are just kids who are struggling. The, yeah. Let's go Sorry. back to the puberty blockers for one second. Yes. And I do want to talk about it because they, they're, I've seen so many who are someplace on the autism spectrum. Of course, Chloe Cole has talked about how she is. They tried to make her into a boy, cut off her breasts. She can't breastfeed her future babies. Um, but on the puberty blockers, they do say it's all reversible. Like w- again, forget moving over to the cross-sex hormones. That's, that is not going to be a reversible problem for you, but is the pause, is the calcium deficiency, what else happens to you? And is it all reversible? So none of your secondary sex characteristics will develop. And the question here is, is time reversible? Is there a time machine where you get to go from 16 back to 11 again and go through all these changes? Of course there's not. Now, I don't want anyone to take my word for this. We've got the president of WPATH, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. They write what are called the standards of care that these gender clinics can follow. They really do whatever they want. But according to Marcy Bowers, a man who says he's a woman, he admitted last year on a Zoom call that none of the boys, literally zero, he said, who started on puberty blockers at Tanner stage two, this is the beginning of puberty. For girls, this is probably two years before their breasts first started to form. So these kids are going to be 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. None of the boys as adults have ever been able to have an orgasm. So what 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy, just with the puberty blockers? I thought that was puberty blockers straight into cross-sex hormones. I didn't realize just the puberty blockers. Oh, my God. Yes, because their sex organs never develop. And it's obviously impossible for a a 10 or 11-year-old boy who doesn't even understand what that is to consent to throwing that away for the rest of his life as an adult. Mm. But he started spitballing during this conversation. Johanna Olson Kennedy was on the call. She runs the Jenner Clinic at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, where she, by the way, received a grant from the NIH for $5.7 million to give cross-sex hormones to eight-year-olds. So these people are ghouls. But anyway, um, obviously, no child can understand that. That's just one of the things that's happening. I tweeted out a video just a couple days ago where this person is also admitting... I I think we have it. I think we have it, actually. Hold on. I'm going to play it. Okay. And then you can comment on the back end. SOT 21. Sure. Um, In the... So one of the biggest issues is that um, if you think about... We haven't probably heard lots about surgery, but if you think about vaginoplasty, the creation of a vagina in an assigned male, you need tissue, genital tissue, to create that vagina. And if we are taking a... 11-year-old boy who does not have a lot of genital tissue and blocking puberty right there, we're preventing the growth of the vagina for down the road. Go ahead. So no growth. What they do, and I'm I'm sorry we get gruesome here. I'll I'll try to use more family-friendly language. No, it's okay. We have to. Yeah. So 
for these boys, once they've become adults, or not even then, they're doing these vaginoplasties on 16-year-olds. I've got Kellen Lackhart, who is this psychiatrist at Kaiser Permanente in Oakland, California, admitting that they have done these vaginoplasty procedures on 16-year-old boys, having started the process at 15. But Creating anyway, a fake vagina. They create a fake vagina. So they, they castrate the boy completely, they slice open the penis, and they invert it. But because it never grew, there's not enough tissue to do the surgery properly. So they have to find that tissue from somewhere. What they do is they take out a piece of the child's colon, or they'll take out some of his stomach lining, the peritoneum, and they use that to line the interior wall of this fake vagina, which is really just a wound, and they have to dilate it for the rest of their life because it's always trying to close up. So these are the same people that say puberty blockers are reversible. Well, if they're reversible, why don't they just take a year or two and let the reverse happen, and then they don't have to do these gruesome surgeries like that? Of course, they're not reversible. Once those years of puberty are gone, they're gone. My God. The, when you add in this, the cross-sex hormones, and as you just pointed out, the vast, vast majority, almost no one sticks with just the puberty blockers and then goes back to their actual sex. They're on this path and they're, they do it. They, they quote transition. They start taking cross-sex hormones, meaning if you're a girl, you start taking testosterone. If you're a boy, you start taking estrogen. And now the horse has really left the barn. I mean, there, you are creating changes that are undoable. One of them is atrophy of your genitals, of even like your uterus. Um, and the biggest thing is infertility. You are rendering yourself sterile. And as you point out, even the trans doctors, activists admit this. This is not a controversial claim. I'll tell you what, Chris, I was going to ask about this, and I did ask about this in the presidential debate. And on that point of, you know, it, it causes sterility. And I wanted to make crystal clear, 100% clear, going to ask you that at the debate. Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? All my authorities that I had there that I were from trans activists. This is admitted. So it, th this is not do no th harm free. If you if you do this for your kid, at starting with the puberty blockers, understanding that 98% of them are going to go right to cross sex hormones, you're choosing to sterilize your minor. That's right. I've tweeted out the consent form that patients at Fenway Health sign, and it says right on there that this leads to sterility. I've talked to all sorts of doctors. I was just at the Heritage Foundation last week with a bunch of doctors there. They all agree with this, of course. This is not controversial. This is not anything that's not widely known. For the girls, it causes vaginal and uterine atrophy, as you said. And so they will cut out the uterus, and sometimes they're cutting out the ovaries as well. It's called an oophorectomy. So now you've got this teenage girl who, for the rest of her life, can never produce estrogen. And when she gets to the ripe old age of 22 and says, my gosh, what have I done? Actually, what have you done to me? Well, now she can never produce estrogen again. Either way you slice it, she's a lifelong pharmaceutical patient buying testosterone or estrogen, never going to be able to have kids. The love bombing as a teenager where she said she was trans and she got all this attention, that's all over because everyone's grown up now and starting their own families. And she's left lonely, unable to have kids. Dating pools dramatically reduced. And that's when a lot of these young people start to really get depressed. That's when suicides start to peak is several years after these transitions. And that's when many of them start to have their regrets. So people say all the time, you know, the detransition rate is very low. Well, that's not true. We have over 50,000 members in a detrans group on Reddit. Now, they're not all strictly detransitioners. Some of them have just desisted. They don't now identify as the opposite sex anymore. But it's a huge number. Most will never go public because when they do, they get attacked by their previous so-called 
community because these people don't want you to be your true self. They just want you to be trans. Yeah. And that's how you know it's a cult. That's right. You took the words right out of my mouth. So I call this a cult all the time. And when you look at the characteristics of all cults, they all have the same things in common. The people who push the cult, they self-police their own thoughts. They won't allow themselves to look at the truth. Because if they were to do that, they would lose their entire social circle. And it would upset what they've believed so fervently for all of these years. Most people can't confront that in the moment. That's why it's important to say things they agree with and ask them questions to get them thinking. Because nobody ever comes out of a cult on their own just because you told them that they were wrong. They have to come out of it after over the years, they start to question this themselves. Those doubts start to creep in. And one day they finally get to a point where they're willing to take that leap and leave it. But this is absolutely a cult. Gender identities don't exist personalities exist. And we need to get back to reality. There's no such thing as being transgender. Transition is something you do. It's not something you are. And if an adult wants to do this, that's a different conversation. But we still have all these 18 and 19 year olds who just a few years later say, what the heck did you do to me? Because they'd suffered abuse or trauma. Sexual abuse is extremely common. I talked to Dr. Quentin Van Meter last week. He's a pediatrician with the American College of Pediatricians. Those are the good pediatricians. And he thinks that sexual abuse is prevalent in about 60% of these cases. So there's always something else going on, which we should be screening for and treating first. We should be treating the mental health comorbidities first, not treating gender as though it's the source of all their underlying problems. Mm-hmm. Oh my, it's just so dark to think of these poor girls in particular without their body parts, without their ability to have children, nurse a child, and even the absence of estrogen, you know, I mean, that that really does change your experience in life. It changes the way your hair is, the way your skin is. You know, ask any postmenopausal woman who doesn't go on HRT. It's a natural life process, but it definitely brings on a lot of change that is insane to put on a 16-year-old who doesn't need it, who's been just confused by a family divorce or a sexual abuse situation. And all of that goes unaddressed because we've decided to focus on something completely unrelated, um, this gender dysphoria that isn't really the cause of her problems. All right, stand by, Chris. I'm going to take a quick break. There's much more to discuss, including I'd love to get your backstory, because wait until you hear how Chris got into this. What, the reason we call him Billboard Chris is fascinating. Stand by. We'll be right back. Right now, get the SiriusXM app for free for three months. Hear over 425 expertly curated channels, including ad-free music for every genre, artist, mood, and more. Hear concerts featuring the biggest names in iconic venues and exclusive in-studio performances. With SiriusXM, you'll get more sports in one app than anywhere else. With live play-by-play from NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, NCAA, and many more. Get the latest predictions, analysis, and fantasy all week long including sports talk athlete to athlete and player to fan from lifestyle fashion and finance to faith and health hear the biggest names in entertainment comedy and talk with a-list interviews exclusive specials and around the clock stand-up in every style plus the latest headlines and in-depth reporting from around the world including politics from every angle all of this and more is available now go to siriusxm.com slash mk show to subscribe and get three months free offer details apply Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. 
Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. So before there was Billboard, Chris, there was just Chris. And so explain <laughs> that evolution and how, you know, you got to be the guy who I first saw on Twitter, X, with the with the sandwich board in front of you and in back of you roaming around Canadian parks with messages like the ones you're delivering today. Truths like the ones you're delivering today. The one for the listening audience we're looking at here is children cannot consent to puberty blockers. Yes. So unbelievably, I wasn't always a human billboard. I used to have a normal life. I was a financial advisor most of my adult life. So I've taken the traditional career arc from investment advisor to crazy sandwich board guy standing out on the street. <laughs> but the first thing I did was put up actual billboards. This was where the nickname first came from. I followed the lead of this fantastic woman in the UK named Kelly J. Keene. She's Love known as Cozy Parker. Her. Yes. Yes. So she did something very controversial. She put up this sign at the Edinburgh train station that said, I love J.K. Rowling. I heart J.K. Rowling. And some people on Twitter complained that it was hateful because, of course, J.K. has spoken up for women's rights and she's also spoken out against this child abuse. And she's a lifelong feminist, a leftist, by the way. So this isn't really a left versus right issue on the street. It only is at the political level. But that sign only lasted a day because some people on Twitter complained. And I got tired of our freedom of speech coming under attack. I'm a dad of two girls. The only thing that matters to me is the life I live for them. I've had all my young, fun years. When you become a parent, your primary job becomes taking care of your kids and leaving a better world for them. And I'm not going to look back at my life in 40 years and say, I knew all about this child abuse and I did nothing about it. I'm not going to send my girls into a world that doesn't even know what a woman is. So everyone was afraid to talk about this. And now you can't even put up a sign saying, I love JK Rowling. I rejected that. So I put up that big billboard you just showed in Vancouver, Canada. It also lasted one day. It got paint-bombed overnight. And then a Vancouver politician named Sarah Kirby Young said it was hate speech. She pressured the sign company and they took it down. I was ready it's for amazing. that. Just to pause, uh, expressing yep. your love for a, an extremely well-known public figure is hate. That's that's the world we're in now. Just saying I love her is hateful. But the world's greatest children's author. And I happened to be reading the Harry Potter books with my little one at night every night back then. But... It got taken down. I was ready for that. I leveraged all the outrage online into a quick little fundraising campaign. And a week later, I had the same billboard up in San Francisco, and then Portland, Los Angeles, all throughout Utah, all throughout the metro in Washington, D.C., and then Times Square. So that was my September of 2020. I ran out of money. No sign companies in Canada would work with me. And I had this vision to start conversations. I knew that if we started enough conversations about this, that once people learned what was going on, we would put a stop to it, as we are doing. And I'll get to that in a minute. But here I am, the end of September 2020, saying, what can I do? Well, if they won't let me put a sign up, I'll become a sign. So I had some signs made. I wear them because it's just easier than holding them. And I started going outside. And I always say good things happen when you go outside. 
and I have conversations. I don't approach anybody. I don't have a bullhorn or anything like that. People just come up to me. They'll ask what are puberty blockers and I have a conversation and I wasn't filming them or anything to start with. And I was happy because I was reaching parents and I knew that in the future, they'd be able to protect their kids from this harmful ideology. And I was living a purpose-driven life. But then I started recording these conversations, posting them online. It helps to educate people about this subject. And I just knew if I kept going and I took all the abuse and the attacks and all those things that happened, I've had my arm broken. I've been assaulted 40 times. I've been arrested by the police twice after getting assaulted. All sorts of crazy things happen when you go outside. But mostly great things happen. And all sorts of amazing people have come into my life. I've made great friends with Moms for Liberty. I'm now working with Turning Point. And so for all the college kids watching this, I would love you to invite me to your campus. I'm working yes. with Turning Point. Let's come and reach these kids because that's where this ideology is really being taught. That's where it's hitting a fever pitch. And that's where we need to change the conversation. And just by showing up on a campus, as I do all the time, I might only talk to 20 kids, but it starts a thousand conversations across the campus. And that's how we end this, by getting the truth out there. But I just keep going outside. I knew this would inspire other people to take action. And I frequently quote this speech these days by Javier Mille, the new president of Argentina, mm -hmm. where he said he's not here to guide sheep. He's here to awaken lions. And that's the same thing I'm trying to do, because I know for every thousand people I talk to, a few of them are going to get activated. They're going to take action. And things like this new law firm in Texas are going to start up. We have four dads who started a law firm. They have 17 children between them. They all left their previous law firms and started one just to sue for these detransitioners. And they're even suing the American Academy of Pediatrics now. So I'm super optimistic. I always have been because we have the people on our side. It just takes time to reach enough of them. But we're going to put a stop to this child abuse way quicker than most people think. Oh my God, I loved everything you said. I, I agree with all your friends. I, I like your selections. I love Kelly J. Keen. She, uh, she among others, but she is definitely one of the principals who awakened this lion uh, to this fight. And Turning Point is amazing. Moms for Liberty, amazing. Javier, he's been spectacular. I didn't hear that quote, but I love it. And you know what? Texas, the a Texas-based firm is where I began my legal career. And they, you know, don't mess with Texas is true. Like once you awake, awaken that sleeping giant, you're going to deal with, with it for a long time. God bless those guys. This kind of thing makes me want to hang up my, my legal shingle again. I did that for 10 years before I was doing this. I would go back to the practice of law if it were something like that. 100% I would do it. I'm so inspired to hear that. So if you wind up on the wrong side of somebody's gender ideology, cult behavior, what's the name of this firm? How do you get in touch with them? How do you get help? So it's Campbell Miller Payne, and the fourth member of the law firm is a former Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. So these are just four great guys. Campbell Miller Payne, you can DM me on Twitter, you can email me through my website, and I'll help to connect you with them. I think they have about 10 lawsuits currently going. And the big one is they're suing the American Academy of Pediatrics because Good. the current policy from the AAP was written by a man named Jason Rafferty, when he was just a medical resident, and it's a total joke, this policy, but Rafferty was involved in the case of a girl in Rhode Island who was suing for the harm that was done to her, and he was part of that case. So because he was directly involved in her medical abuse, they're able to link in the AAP because he wrote their policy statement. So good luck to the AAP. You're going to lose because you have no evidence to support this child abuse whatsoever. And I know That's... we've talked about a lot of dark stuff, 
But there's so many positive things going on in the world as well. 22 states have passed legislation to stop this child abuse. A year and a half ago, I was meeting with some members of Congress because that's what Canadians wearing a sign do. <laughs> this whole adventure of mine is crazy. No members, of, uh, no members of our parliament in Canada will talk to me, yet I've got all these members of Congress that I work with. But 22 states have stopped this now. In Missouri, we have a whistleblower named Jamie Reed who worked at the Washington University Transgender Clinic. She describes herself as a queer woman married to a trans man politically left to Bernie Sanders. But she says all the exact same things I'm saying here today. She submitted an affidavit to the Attorney General. They've stopped this in Missouri. And as part of this new legislation, this is really interesting. The existing children at that gender clinic, they could have still kept going and received their puberty blockers and hormones. But because of the legislation, one aspect was it extended the statute of limitations for suing. Previously, in all 50 states, for medical malpractice, the statute of limitations was one to three years. But that's been extended now past 20 years. So because of the legal liability, the lawyers for the gender clinic said, nah, too much liability, we're shutting it all down. And they won't see any of these kids anymore because they know they're going to get sued because deep down inside, they know this is wrong. So the lawyers are putting a stop to this. Oh my God. You know, it's just, it just dovetails with what's in the news right now on X. You've probably seen these uh, reveals now that the risks of myocarditis after taking the vaccine were identified. I mean, from the beginning, from the beginning, the drug companies knew, the CDC knew and suppressed the message to the American public. Kids have died. Kids have died because they refused to disclose what happened with myocarditis. And if you don't think that big pharma does what it needs to do to pad its own pockets, you haven't been paying attention. And just and if they would do it in the COVID vaccine lane, they would 100% do it in the gender ideology lane. The only thing that stops people like that in America is lawyers and huge bet your business lawsuits. I've lived that life as a lawyer. It's the only thing they'll listen to. So this is the That's only right. way because our legislators aren't really going to do it in the blue states. They're not going to do it. They're going the other way. They're making you know, state sanctuaries for trans procedures in some of the far left state states like California. That's right. And Maine right now has legislation on the books, just like California. A child could run away from home from Texas and go to Maine. They won't return the child home or let's say a spouse, not even a spouse with custody. They could take the child to Maine or California and they will ignore court orders subpoenas, arrest warrants, and custody agreements from the home state so that the child can be transitioned. In California right now, they're even making it a law so that insurance companies can't increase the cost of coverage because that could shut down this abuse as well. But there is light over that horizon. In California right now, this is huge. And for me, this should be what everyone fighting this should be focused on. There's a ballot initiative underway. So that when people go to the polls in November to vote for anyone not named Joe Biden, there will be three things on the ballot if they get enough signatures. It'll be getting boys out of girls' sports. It'll be making it so that teachers cannot keep it a secret from their a child's own parents that a child has a new name and pronouns, what we call social transition. It should more accurately be called psychological transition. We have teachers doing psychological interventions on children with absolutely no training. They have no idea what they're doing. And really quickly, I just want to say a thing about pronouns. People think, what's the big deal? Using the other pronouns. Just be nice. 
What message are you sending when you call a girl he, him? You are telling that little girl that she needs to be something she's not, that there's something wrong with her. And then when every other kid in school and the teachers and the administrators go along with this, they're reaffirming thousands of times that this girl needs to be something she's not. That is psychological abuse. Never play the pronoun game. But this ballot initiative will also stop this child abuse because we know they had Rasmussen do independent polling. Even among the Democrats, there is support to stop this child abuse. I went to a street fair in Oakland, California last year. There were probably two, 3,000 people there. 99% of them were black. Every single black person supported me. Seneca Scott, I ran into this man. He was running for mayor. He supported me. He posed for a picture with me. And then, of course, he got a whole bunch of hate. But the only people who gave me a hard time that day were four white feminists, you know? And <laughs> this does not have wide support among any of the population except the far no. left. It's primarily pushed it by doesn't. white women, unfortunately, where it, pre it preys on their natural agreeableness and they want to be but kind. Unfortunately, They've been deceived. Uh, but yeah. unfortunately, the, the problem is the, the medical capture that you just referenced, because right. when you tell most moms the American Academy of Pediatrics supports this, this is what they say is right for your child. They'll do it. They feel like, oh, that's the gold standard. I have to do it. That, that must be true. They don't understand any of what you just said. And that's the same group saying when your doctor, your pediatrician says, you mom now need to leave the medical examination room so I can have alone yeah. time with your teen. You know, it's something mom doesn't need to be party to. You do not consent. Don't go. There's no secrets between your kid and the doctor. You want to have the sex talk with my kid? I'll take care of that. So you have to do your parental duty. Have your have a sex talk. Tell your kid this is how you protect yourself. But they don't get to talk about gender ideology, which is also on their list with your child, period. Period. But I know we're short for time here. People need to go to protectkidsca.com. Californians, you can sign this ballot initiative. And I would also encourage people to, uh, oh, one, one, one last thing. You just said the American Academy of Pediatrics, they're pushing this. They've conducted a systematic review. They've started one. So we'll see what they say. But England, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, they all put a stop to this and they didn't legislate it away. Those countries conducted a systematic review of the evidence. And shocker, they found there no, was no evidence to support this child abuse. And just yesterday, even the terrible World Health Organization said the evidence base for children and adolescents is limited and variable regarding the longer-term outcomes of gender-affirming care for children and adolescents, and they've decided not to make any recommendations on this subject. So even the WHO knows that this is nonsense. We are going to get this put a stop to, but it requires us fighting. Because if you rely on someone else to stop this, it's never going to happen. You can't rely on the government to do anything to stop this child abuse. It's up to us. We're the ones who change the culture and make it safe for these legislators to find some courage. I couldn't agree with you more. This is why I like, I just keep saying they're sterilizing children. They're sterilizing children. Children are being abused by misguided parents and teachers and the psychiatric and psychological community. And we're all standing by. And I, I care about other issues. I care about the economy. I care about immigration, but the, we ha they're sterilizing our children. Like what could be more important? They're chopping off children's body parts without their consent. Stop, hold the presses, drop everything, be a squeaky wheel. I mean, what is the best way to do that, Chris, for people who are feeling inspired right now? You, you mentioned 
the California website yeah. in Maine right now. They're they're considering a similar bill. I know that would would allow yeah. the state to take away custody for any parent who doesn't quote affirm. They're going to be having a hearing on that later in January. But you know, people are going to be overwhelmed if they have to go to the California website. They got to go to the Maine website. Like, sure. what is the best thing to do? Well, most people like someone to work with in these fights. So, you know, for the moms and the dads, I would encourage you to go to Moms for Liberty website, go yeah. to one of their chapter meetings. These are normal moms and dads. The left attacks them more than anybody because they know they're effective. I know these moms. Yes. Don't listen to any of the hate. They're all just normal and beautiful. They're warrior mamas fighting for our kids. I need help. You can go to my website, billboardchris.com. You can click on the donate button. I've got big plans. But whatever you do, you just got to do something. You've got to get off the couch and do something. This is like the laws of physics. An object in motion stays in motion. You've just got to get in motion. And once you do that, other great people are going to come into your orbit and you're going to find new friends that you can fight alongside and you won't have to do this on your, by yourself. That's what's happened with me. I've made the best friends of my life in my mid-40s. But we're just going to keep going because there's nothing more important than our kids. And the left made a big mistake trying to get in between us and our children. So we're going to kick their butts. Amen. I'm so glad you're in the fight, Chris. God bless you and all you do. Follow Chris on X. It's how we found out about him. It's how we've been following a lot of the information that he posts, which is spot on. This is not a, an X account that's off. You know, like a lot of people I like, but I follow them and then mm -hmm. I realize they've tweeted out a bunch of nonsense. It's not the truth with you. You, I get the actual facts about what's happening. So much appreciate your advocacy. God bless you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Megan. Oh, please let us know if there's anything you need or that we can help promote or get the word out on. We're here, Chris. All the best. Wow. I want to tell our audience tomorrow we've got an update on some of the craziest legal cases. Mark Garagos will be here along with Jonas Bilbor on a special Kelly's Court you're not going to want to miss. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 